everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Go Steal a Podcast. I'm Christina. I will be your one and only host today. Last episode, we had three co-hosts, and uh, this week, we're down to just one due to Amazon suddenly charging you to uh, watch your episodes of Leverage on Amazon Prime. So thanks a lot, Amazon. If uh, you're watching along with us uh, and you don't already own the DVDs for Leverage, now it's a little more difficult to watch. So uh, as a librarian, I just want to make a quick plug for checking out your public library and seeing if they've got a copy of Leverage. I know my library does, and the first couple episodes that we recorded, we recorded based off my watching of those DVDs. So head out to your local library, see what they've got, <laughs> and you can watch along too for free. You know, libraries, the original Amazon. Anyways, library plugs aside, today I'm going to be talking about the Mile High Job, which is, I'm going to get it right this time, it is the eighth episode of Leverage. It aired on January 20th, 2009. So, you know, we're getting along. This is episode eight of 15, so we are over halfway through this first season, which is really exciting. But a little bit about this episode. So this episode was written by Amy Berg, whose name you'll remember. She also wrote The Bank Shot Job, which is really interesting in the you know trivia-related things for this episode and that episode, and we'll get to that in a little bit. It was direct directed by Rob Minkoff, who this is his very first TV directing gig. He is better known for directing animated things. He directed The Lion King, for instance. I don't know if you've heard of that movie. He also directed Stuart's Little, you know, both Stuart Little movies, one and two. If you didn't know that there was a second Stuart Little movie, you're not alone, because I learned that this week. Oh, and of course, we have our executive producers, John Rogers and Chris Downey, co-creators, executive producers, etc., etc. So this episode starts off with our new clients, they are grieving parents who, whose daughter has passed away due to some mysterious complications that they are convinced were caused by fertilizer in the water caused by a company called Genegro. Amy Berg in the uh, audio commentary said that she based these parents on the parents that are featured at the very end of the pilot episode because we never got to see that couple's uh, their pain and their suffering resolved. So she wanted to do that in this episode. So here we go. The beginning of the episode, we've got most of the team. We've got Nate, Sophie, Elliot, and Parker breaking into Genegro to find evidence that they've been paying off people to testify on their behalf and also to find kind of the smoking gun that proves that the fertilizer that they that they were using didn't indeed cause uh, this this young girl to to die. So they've got to you know they've got to break in into this you know high rise office building. The weird thing about the scene though is that the timing of the first of this heist is a little strange. It is obviously dark outside. It's obviously evening, probably late evening. And I'll even push it to be like really late, maybe early morning, because Sophie is playing a French party girl who's looking for a rave and she can't find it because her her handheld GPS is is not working. But I don't know how late we could reasonably say that she'd be looking for this rave could be because I mean, so, you know, it's it obviously has to be in 
late at night because there's nobody else around Jenna Grow, uh, you know, to catch Elliot and Parker and Nate. But um, yeah, that gets a little weirder later because when they have to go catch their flight, it leaves in an hour uh, on the other side of LA and it's daylight. It's it's not early morning, it's full on daylight. So that's a little a little bit of a weird thing with the timing there. But yeah, so Sophie is, you know, wanders into the lobby of this office building claiming that she's there for a rave. We've got two security guards who, you know, unfortunately tell her that this is not the place that she needs to be, but she distracts them so the the gang can move in. Actually, one of the security guards, the main security guard who has all the lines, he is actually a former professional hockey player. His name is Jeremy Rennick. He played for the Blackhawks. He played for uh, the San Diego Sharks and um, several other teams. So I think that's just hilarious that he just did a cameo. He does. He's done cameos on a bunch of other shows, uh, a really short-lived show actually called Heist. So I don't know if he's got just a thing for Heist shows, uh, but he was also in an episode of The Ghost Whisperer. <laughs> with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and an episode of Bones back in 2016. Uh, yeah, just hilarious. I Googled him to see a little bit more about him and he's got a bunch of recent videos. He, I guess he's shows up on a bunch of, you know, sports commentary shows. And, but then there's like things like him doing the polar bear challenge in January and just doing, making silly videos, which is pretty fun. So the character that's missing in this very first scene is very much missed because he's integral to every leverage plot and uh, our characters are not even saying his name because they're so angry at him for some unknown reason. Elliot, Parker, and Nate get to a, uh, a keypad and or they get to the elevator and they can't get onto the elevator because it's keypad locked and Elliot says I have to say I hate to say it but you know who we could really use right now and Nate is like don't even say his name I don't want to hear his name it's you know, he's just incensed. Uh, so we have no idea where where Hardison is at this point. So they have to take the stairs up 30 floors to get to the Genegro Agriculture Agricultural Division. And I don't know if you've ever walked up several flights of stairs before, but it is it is not fun, even if you are in great shape, like Parker and Elliot are. Nate, I'm not so sure what his workout regimen is, but I'm pretty sure that Parker and Elliot are, are working out on the daily. Yeah, no, once I went to Australia and we, they have these like 900 something steps that go down into this valley in the Blue Mountains and I was sore for like the rest of my trip. It was horrible. But I, so I, yeah, going upstairs, 30, 30 flights, oh my gosh. And when they get to the top floor, when they get to the 30th floor, they are, they encounter yet another keypad and yet again they do not have any way to access uh, this door except the one way the explosive way so parker sets an explosive device next to the um the keypad and they they like run back down another landing which i'm not sure why elliot and nate didn't head down to that landing first and then let parker set it but you know it's cool uh but then we get to see this great edited shot that goes from when the explosion should start there to a microwave beeping because it's done with its job. And then we finally get to see my boy Hardison. He is <laughs> opening the microwave and, you know, gazing lovingly at that culinary 
marvel the hot pocket. And I asked myself, Partisan, you are like a freaking billionaire. Why? Maybe not a billionaire, millionaire. Why are you eating hot pockets? <laughs> uh, so there's no accounting for taste. But also, this was a boy who, you know, I'm sure he's eaten more than one hot pocket in his life. One, he did not microwave it using the microwavable little envelope thing. Two, he didn't use a plate or even a paper towel. Three, he just sticks his hand in there and picks it up. You know what's going to happen when you pick up a mi uh, just microwaved Hot Pocket? Like, come on. Come on. So, he drops it on the floor. But, you know, five-second rule. And I'm sure Leverage Headquarters is nice and neat, so it's fine. You can eat it right off the floor with your face two inches away from the floor. It's fine. Um, so, but this, this scene again, like, begs the question, like, what time is it that Hardison is just chilling at Leverage Headquarters in the morning... In the morning, late at night, eating a Hot Pocket. Like, does he actually live there? Does he have a house? Um, what is he doing that he's not on? I don't know. We know, we'll find out later why he's not on the heist. But I just don't know what time it is. And I really wish there was a clock somewhere. So uh, we kind of get going back and forth with the heist and Hardison just chilling at Leverage Headquarters doing you know everyday office things maybe he's setting getting everything ready in the morning before people get there and he eats a hot pocket instead of having a cup of coffee i don't i don't get that but now i have to have a sip of my coffee anyway. so uh in his you know going around the office and getting things all set up for the morning i guess yeah we see him water a plant which according to the audio commentary was supposed to be this running gag that refers back to Parker's line in the second the second episode, the homecoming job, uh, where she says at the end that she got a plant for the office. And um, so the idea was that Hardison was gonna be periodically through the season, he was going to be shown helping her out by watering this plant um, until it would eventually be revealed that it was actually just like a fake plastic plant all the time, like the whole time. And which is hilarious in retrospect, but then they they let that gag drop. So we just see Hardison being the housekeeper of Leverage Headquarters. Which honestly, we all knew he was the, the housekeeper of Leverage Headquarters. I think Hardison's one of those people who doesn't need a lot of sleep. I think that's it. Anyways, back to Jenna Grow. The gang is searching for proof that Jenna Grow knew that their fertili fertilizer was bad. Uh, and they, they boot up the computer there to check for files only for Hardison then to realize that they're working um, and he's in the middle of making excuses, his power's gone out, blah, 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 when Haldeman, our baddie, shows up and they all have to hide. And they all have to hide in like really obvious places. Elliot is just straight up between in a corner between a wall and the coffee machine, just, just sitting there casually. Uh, and Nate is kind of crouched behind some filing cabinets Parker straight up disappears, and we don't know where she is until she pops back up later, and Nate, Nate even says, I don't even ask anymore how she does this, when Elliot uh, even says surprise at that. So while they're hiding, they overhear Haldeman tell someone that he needs to get rid of the evidence before the EPA subpoenas happen, and he's liquidating these assets, so to speak. So, oh, he says, um, he tells the person that they're going to be the, the assets are going to be on a certain flight to the Caymans and 
he needs them to take care of it for him. So, of course, now the gang has to get across town to LAX, you know, before this flight gets off. They have to get on this flight. They have to acquire these assets and, you know, um, you know, be the good guys. Uh, then we get the, the hilarious scene of uh, Sophie still flirting with the security guard and the rest of the gang <laughs> running out, just yelling about a giant furry thing that's chasing them. Which I guess in a, a company like Genegro, where they're obviously doing some sort of genetic modification to things, or all sorts of genetic modifications to things, uh, it would not be out of the realm of possibility that a giant furry thing would be chasing people. It just reminded me of a scene from uh, The Middleman, which is a show that is also excellent. And then suddenly it's daytime and we're at the airport. So I guess when you're leveraged, you don't get stuck in Los Angeles traffic. Speaking of Los Angeles, in the last episode, The Wedding Job, we talked about not being sure of the location of Leverage's headquarters in this season. And the beginning of the episode is set, well, it doesn't say where Leverage headquarters is, it just says Leverage headquarters when we open up the episode. And then they're in Los Angeles to investigate Jenna Grow. But I don't necessarily think that is, that means that we're in Los Angeles the way that kind of the last episode implied with its uh, scenery. So um, I said that I was going to be looking for evidence of that. And this does not convince me, but it is kind of one little, one little piece. So yeah, we're at the airport, which is actually not an airport. It is a Los Angeles convention center and just the hallways in between. So uh, it kind of mimics an airport pretty well. This is one of the episodes though that, and they don't talk about it in the commentary. And I, this is when I really wish I had somebody else to talk to about this and my questions. In some episodes of Leverage, especially if they're shooting somewhere with like high ceilings, I feel like the lighting is really low and almost like has a smoky feel to it, if that makes any sense. And I don't know what that is, like if they diffuse the light through a lens or if, I don't know, it just, as much as I love Leverage, shots like that make me feel like, like realize that it's kind of on a lower end of the budget. Um, it's not like a big big networks, huge blockbuster show, which is true. And that is totally great. And that's one of the things I love about it. But um, for the most part, they're not shot that way. And so it's weird when it's kind of hazy and smoky and it feels very low budget to me. Anyways, anyways, that is not to say that I don't appreciate this episode because in the scene, we also get some Doctor Who references, which I am always on the lookout for. So when they are going through they're trying to figure out their personas for getting on the plane which they really should have done in the car on the way over instead of on the escalator on the way up to airport security nate pulls out the ids that he has on him and he says oh i have peter davison i have sylvester mccoy i have tom baker and sophie says oh i have sarah jane baker and hardison says i now pronounce you man and wife and I love that Sophie has a wedding ring on her because of course she does. And she makes Nate put it on her, her left brain finger. But so those, those personalities or those personas, uh, Peter Davison was the fifth doctor, the actor who played the fifth doctor. Sylvester McCoy was the actor who played the sixth doctor. Tom Baker is the actor who played the fourth doctor, who is the one with the big bushy hair and the hat and the scarf, the scarf. 
and Sarah Jane Smith, nay Baker, uh, was a really popular companion to the Doctor. She was a companion of the third, the fourth, and she was in several episodes with David Tennant's Tenth Doctor. So it was just, I love that. That's our second blatant Doctor Who reference. So yeah, it's just a really great nod to Hardison's nerdiness and his attention to detail. Um, you know, yeah. Um, then Ari- uh, Elliot comes in. He doesn't need an ID because he's got, he's just going to pretend to be an air marshal because he's got a badge on him. They just, they're like little Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. They're just always prepared. They have just everything on them, apparently. So, uh, and then Elliot shares that terrifying information about air marshals on flights and how they're only on one in 10 flights. Uh, Yeah. Um, A bit about Elliot as an air marshal. If he'd actually been an air marshal, if he was actually playing a true air marshal, he would have been seated in first class because the air marshal has to be close to the cockpit because they're there to protect the pilot. And being back in coach, can't really do that. Uh, But obviously, even if he knew that rule, he's not going to follow it because he needs to be back in coach to cover the back half of the plane with, uh, with Parker. Parker, meantime, she gets to be another... Uh, figure of authority, which is just terrifying, terrifying possibility. Um, so they make her a flight attendant. And the poor flight attendant who, all the poor flight attendants in this episode, but the poor flight attendant who is freaked out because she thinks her cat Fidget is, you know, at the animal shelter and she's got to run and pick him up. Uh, just feel bad for her. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry when she knocks Elliot over so they can switch suitcases I have I'm having a kitty emergency which just sounds like a euphemism that I really want to use in the future I don't know when I'll ever get the chance to say it but it's hilarious um what was I gonna say after that oh yeah so the fidget the cat is a real cat she or she or he is based off uh, I believe Amy Burke said her sister-in-law's cat that's that's a picture of the real fidget Um, we get to hear Nate and Elliot's different ways of knowing things about flight attendants. Nate worked airport security, and of course, Elliot slept with a flight attendant. And no one could blame them. Uh, so yeah, so we've got Hardison snooping through Nate's office, and Nate catching him red-handed, uh, so to speak. Uh, yeah, and then he's surprised when Nate says, don't forget to turn off my computer, like, he heard you talking about his online chess and his online poker. He knew where you were at Hardison. Come on. He's not psychic. He's just observant. So Hardison has his new job. He needs to go back to Genegro and find the smoking gun. And Nate asks him if he needs Parker to walk him through how to break in. And Hardison says, no, I've got this. I've got this. So he's got, he goes in as, um, a Spanish-speaking aquarium fixer, worker, and he's going to go work with the koi because they're going to die. <laughs> muerte, muerte. Um, and, you know, just confuses the security guards and just goes go, goes in, takes up an entire elevator by himself and changes sometime up to the 30th floor, gets rid of the bucket and the, the tubing and the everything, um, and has this beautiful suit on, and then promptly, <laughs> promptly accuses 
whatever that dude's name is, Dave or something, Steve, I don't know, um, of being a racist, which, you know, he, he probably is. And uh, then, like, just integrates himself into, you know, the office life of Floor 30 of Jenna Grow. Meanwhile, Parker suddenly knows exactly what she needs to do as a flight attendant when she walks on the plane. I've been on a lot of flights, but I don't think I could pretend to know all of all of the duties of a flight attendant and and another poor flight attendant she she says oh you didn't hear she got promoted and implies that she's sleeping her way to the top or whatever which not cool but uh the, the other flight attendant her face throughout this entire episode is just priceless because she's just goes from like are you kidding me are you freaking kidding me to what are you what's going on what are you doing and just you know, from confused to pissed off and back again, just so many times her head must be spinning. So um, Nate and Sophie are playing happy couples. Uh, they are, you know, being playing a married couple and then they quickly have a fight like a married couple um, because Nate doesn't remember the date that they met. According to Sophie, they met 10 years previously and according to Nate, they met eight years previously. And uh, yeah, that quickly becomes a thing, which is great. <laughs> then we, right before takeoff, we have uh, Parker giving the the plane safety speech that we all know and love, uh, and sleep through sometimes. But her is her her speech is not one that you could sleep through because it includes you know uh, how how hot jet fuel burns and uh, what you should do in the case of a water landing and you know all that good stuff this episode aired just after the miracle on the hudson so just after captain sullenberger sullenberger yeah I think that's, you know sully after he landed on the hudson but before that there'd never been a successful water landing and in the audio commentary they say you know if that water landing had not been successful this episode probably would have never aired which i think would have been okay with me like if if that had actually been a horrific thing that had happened so recently like that's an episode that should be shelved because i don't know when i'd be able to the <laughs> one when it would be okay to watch that episode again you know so yeah i just the they talk a lot about um kind of the the prescience or the not the foreshadowing, but the the ways that leverage kind of foretells things, you know? Uh, and this one seems, a lot of them are, you know, about corporate crime and corruption and things like that, uh, politics and, and stuff like that. But this one is so weird because it, you know, it they'd filmed it way before the actual accident happened, um, but then it comes out right after it. It's just the weirdest timing uh, and the most like synchronistic, thing ever synchronistic did i use that right and i love i love this as like an acceptance of parker as parker during her speech elliot just raises his eyebrow uh he doesn't roll his eyes he doesn't like grumble under his breath about how crazy parker is being and then nate just asks what asks what the plan is they, they don't even comment none of them say anything so the plan is that they've got to figure out what they need to steal and who they need to steal it from and then they've got to get it off the plane without anyone noticing so as as Sophie says in <laughs> with with lots of attitude, oh, so you know, business as usual then. Then we get to see um our our big guest star, the adorable Sarah Rue from 
the television show popular. She's been on a lot of things and she's just adorable. She's just the cutest little thing. But she's sitting in coach and she has a nervous stomach and she just wants another ginger ale. And Parker is such a huge jerk to her. <laughs> like until you realize something special about her, she's a huge jerk to her. But it's not really Parker just doesn't have patience for humans, you know? And she hangs out with other people who are basically superhuman in the things that they do. And so she doesn't hang out with real people. She doesn't know how to deal with them. Listen to me just making excuses for Parker. Oh, <laughs> the movie screens that you see in this episode on the on the plane, they're all showing scenes from The Librarian Return to King Solomon's Mines, which, as we know, a lot of the people from Leverage work on The Librarian. And, you know, Christian Kane is on is on the TV show and things like that. So it just, I, it's not even subtle. Like, there's straight up a close-up of Noah Wiley's handsome face just right there. So in our next scene at Jenner Girl, we find out why Hardison was not around for the initial heist. He was up all night playing the new expansion of World of Warcraft, which is great. And you find out that the, the woman in the office, uh, that she was, she also plays because she makes a reference and they they bond over, you know, for the horde. Which incidentally, the scene is apparently the most YouTube scene scene from Leverage because people love them some Warcraft. Yeah. yeah, so Nate kind of gives him a dressing down when he finds out that this is why he wasn't around for the heist at the beginning. And he says this line that I think... I would really take to heart, but he says, you can't skate by on talent and luck forever. You know, you've got to put the time in, you've got to be dedicated. Um, and he's, he's disappointed. So, uh, but then of course, Hardison looks over and he sees, luckily he sees something in the trash can that gives him an idea of how to get, how to get Haldeman out of his office so that he can go through his files. And he spoofs a meeting and just like, just talks in corporate jargon, blah, blah, blahs. And, uh, then pretends he had a bad seafood burrito for lunch and uh, ducks out of there so he can go go through Haldeman's office. Meanwhile, on the plane, by the way, this episode was supposed to be a bottle episode originally, and so they were only going to film it on the plane. Uh, and I like bottle episodes a lot. I think they, they sometimes they are kind of an after you jump the shark method of, of having a cheap episode uh, but I think they can also force you to be super um, imaginative uh, and creative with what you what you have around you uh, like there are some great bottle episodes of shows like uh, wow I can't think of Midnight yeah uh, there's an episode of Doctor Who called Midnight that is basically a bottle episode where they're stuck the doctor is stuck on a like a transport vehicle and it is riveting it should be a play but anyways bottle episodes this one did not end up being one uh obviously so back on the plane see i can get off topic even without a host a co-host um back on the plane the the team has gone kind of through everybody's carry-on luggage because they figured that's where they wouldn't check whatever these assets are that haldeman is trying to get rid of those wouldn't be checked in the cargo hold. They'd be carry-on. So they're going through everyone's carry-on stuff. How, I mean, we see Elliot go through people's luggage and then just give some dude who is suspicious the evil eye and told him to go back to watching his movie. Uh, I don't know how they went through everything. 
on this huge plane. But they find a box full of euros. They find a pouch of uncut diamonds. They find a Stradivarius, which, of course, they all want to keep all of these things that they've found. You know, Sophie just wants the diamonds and Parker's never stolen a Stradivarius and so she really wants to. But um, apparently Hatbox Full of Euros just became shorthand in the writer's room for things that the thieves want to steal in the midst of another heist because they really are. They're just addicts. Like they're obsessed with stealing things and they, they just want to steal all the time, even if they're actually already stealing something. You know, they're just distracted by another shiny thing. Hardison breaks into Haldeman's office. And oh, at this point, we kind of get to know the names of, of everybody who's sort of involved. And on IMDb, it says that the all the characters are named for um, people involved in the Watergate scandal, which is not correct. Amy Berg says in the audio commentary that they're actually named for her UTA agents. And I had no idea what UTA agents were. So I had to, you know, look it up. So those are her agents from the United Talent Agency. So not quite as scandalous as Watergate. Just a shout out to her friends. While Hardison is looking through Haldeman's files, he finds that there are actually two people from Jenna Grow on the flight, but they're not sitting together. One of them is our nervous Sarah Rue in coach, and the other one is in first class. He is ex-military, and he's the head of security for Jenna Grow. And, you know, they try to explain that away. Oh, maybe they don't know that they're there. And he says, no, these were tickets that were bought at the same time using the same company card. So this, this was not an accident. Uh, and obviously the ex-military guy is there to take out Sarah Rue. So she is the asset. She's an, ac an accountant who's obviously seen something that doesn't match up and she needs to be taken out. Um, uh, they and Hardison even sees that they're, the company's going through Marissa's office, like getting rid of all of her files and clearing off her computer. So, um, but hey, hey, when they find this out, they have to go get her and like bring her in on the whole story. And Hardison, or not Hardison, and Elliot, you know, is the one to go get her to kind of break the news to her. So she gets to hold Elliot's hand and walk through the airplane. So, you know, things aren't too bad. The guy in 1D wants to kill her, but she gets to hold, she gets to hold Elliot's hand. So. I mean, whatever. But of course, it, it it's a little hard to grasp the fact that your boss is trying to kill you. So Parker rips off the Band-Aid and tells her <laughs> straight up. Then we get Elliot giving us some creepy insight into how he would handle a job like this, which really just drives the point home that Elliot has done some things. Like he is, he's a good guy now, but he has not always been a good guy. Uh, they have to make out, make sure that Ehrlich does not take out um, Marissa or Sarah Rue's character before they before they get to the Caymans. So we get this epic fight in the bathroom. Um, I can barely turn around in an airport airplane bathroom. Uh, so I, it is a tight fit to have two grown muscular men beat the crap out of each other inside one, <laughs> and it's a pretty epic fight. There is the case of the Mrs. The disappearing knife in this scene, though, uh, Ehrlich has a ceramic knife that he has smuggled through airport security, and he tries to use it on Elliot, but Elliot disarms him, and it disappears. We don't see it. Later, they go back into the, the bathroom, and it is sitting there on the, the counter, and Elliot 
grabs it. Hardison is back in Haldeman's office and he finds out that he has stopped a payment to Ehrlich, which mean, well, who, who, you know, he was paying to take out Marissa. So that could only mean that he's going to take out both the evidence and the guy who's in charge of getting rid of the evidence, which means that they're going to take down the plane that everyone is currently on, say Parson. The bomb would, you know, would be in the cargo hold. So Parker, Parker's on it before, and I love this, Parker's on it before Nate can even tell her to be on it. Like they say, oh, it, it must be in the cargo hold and she's gone. Like she's already walking off and Nate is halfway through. He's like, Parker, go, okay. And he just sees that she's not there and he's like, okay, she knows what to do. We're on top of our jobs. And, and once again, <laughs> the poor other flight attendant, he's like, why are you unscrewing panels of this plane? And she just says, Oh, yeah, someone needs their inhaler, so she she has to go into the cargo hold to get it for the medical emergency. Um, and then they, they have to go check on Ehrlich. I don't know why, like, I guess they want to talk to him or something, but they can't wake him up because when Elliot knocks people out, they tend to stay knocked out. And there's the re reappearing knife. Um, Parker gets down into the cargo hold of the airplane and Hardison with her help is successfully able to kind of hack into this plane from whatever 3,000 miles away and he says if you were a geek you'd be really turned on right now and um, you know I can concur that, that that would be the case so um, Parker also finds that a device has been wired into the conduits that she's looking at um, and it's near enough to the black box which harkens back to the bank shot job the black box in an airplane is actually orange. And so that's the black box versus the the bank ledger, where in the the fact about bank ledgers in the bank shot job is not real, but sounds real. And the fact that black boxes are orange, which is a fact that is real but doesn't sound real. So that's their that shorthand in the, the writer's room. Anyways, it's near enough to the black box so that the plane can be sabotaged and the data on the black box can be changed so that no one knows the plane's been sabotaged. <sighs> so, you know, they're all gonna die. So Nate and uh, Elliot bust into the cockpit, causing, obviously, causing the pilot and the co-pilot to freak out because it's not a good thing when the cockpit is, is invaded. It's a, a terrifying thing. We all know that. But um, Nate tells Hardison that he's got to override the device that's taking over the, the plane's autopilot and manual control or they're done for, right? And Hardison, I like, yeah, I really love Aldous Hodge's acting here. Instead of being like really loud and freaking out, he like kind of like internalizes it and he, you know, is just very quietly, you know, losing his mind and kind of unraveling in front of us. Because as he says, all he knows about aeronautical engineering is it's limited to what he can google in the next two minutes um but i just i love like this next moment it's you know it comes from a place of you know there's no time to freak out we've gotta we've gotta get this done but nate and hardison have another like very father-son moment where nate says you know no matter how many times you goof off or you screw up you always come through in the clutch you're the only guy i can count on in a situation like this which is partially Nate doing his best to manipulate a situation so it turns out the way that he wants, which we know he's really good at. But it's also it's also true. And I think it really speaks to the fact that Nate already and has seen Hardison kind of as his heir apparent from like even this early in the show. Because he's obviously 
we've seen him um, already in the past kind of training him and, and giving him tips the same way that Sophie, the same way that Sophie gives uh, Parker tips, which is great. So meanwhile, this plane is plummeting, like just, just nose down straight, straight towards the ocean or whatever they're flying above at this moment. But, um, you know, we never really doubted it. Hardison figures it all out and Parker's able to disconnect the wires so that they can reboot. Uh, the pilots regain control of the plane, but they still need to land because they are they have dropped so much altitude they they can't pull back up in time. So they have to find the nearest runway, which just happens to be the Seven Mile Bridge in the Florida Keys. Not as um, the Leverage Wiki claims the, the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway in Louisiana. Because if you've ever driven the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway, you can you can really tell the difference between that and and this bridge that they land on. Uh, I have driven that, you know, at least once or twice a year for my, almost my entire life. And it is a much different view <laughs> in Louisiana than in, in Florida. And yeah, but which I also think that that bridge in the Florida Keys is kind of awkwardly placed for the flight plan from Los Angeles to the Caymans. But maybe it's not. I have not taken that flight, so I don't know what kind of direction they would go. But it is just a lovely coincidence that it is right there when they need to land. And I'm not questioning it because everybody is safe and sound on the plane. And that's what I want. So, yeah. And then I thought this was interesting, but also why? Like, mm, everybody, when they land, we get a reaction shot from every important character. We get Elliot. Um, like holding the hand of the woman next to him. We get Nate breathing a sigh of relief. We get Marissa like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm still alive. We get Sophie just like pushing her hair back and like running her hands over her face. We even get Hardison like celebrating back, you know, in Los Angeles, but we don't get Parker. We don't get Parker's reaction shot. And Parker has presumably been just like bounced all around in the cargo bay of this or cargo hold of this plane as it makes this really, really bumpy landing. <laughs> Just like, is Parker okay? <laughs> and we see later that Parker's okay, but I wanted that reaction. Anyways, then, you know, there's kind of radio silence for a second and Hardison is, you know, doing his, you know, happy Snoopy dance. And, but he asks everyone if they're okay. And Elliot says, yeah, we're fine. And, he, and then he says, all right, family. And he calls them family. And I just, I love that because it's true. They're a family. So now we've got to get Marissa off the plane before Haldeman realizes his smoking gun isn't dead. Um, and they get Marissa to agree to testify against Haldeman and then he's put away, which we see the kind of live footage of when the team's all back at Leverage headquarters sitting around the conference table and uh, Hardison walks in and, you know, he quotes the A-team and says, you know, I love it when a plane comes together, which is great. Um, but everybody's wearing the same clothes that they were when they crash landed in the Florida Keys and I assume that a federal grand jury takes a little long to deliberate and and get their act together enough to put somebody away and like for Marissa to testify so <laughs> the timing on this last scene is very confusing to me and also um not that they shouldn't be upset for a while but uh Hardison's boy and girl uh, Elliot and Parker are still grumpy with him and kind of just stomp off in separate directions when, when he comes in saying, you know what? I saved you guys. Like you shouldn't be angry at me. I apologize. So 
I did promise um, someone on Twitter that I would be uh, kind of keeping an eye out for OT3 moments in the series. And I, I think this is one, it, it's not, obviously it's not super blatant. They don't get really blatant until later in the series. But um, yeah, just the fact that uh, Hardison is like, hey, you know, he's he's making these excuses to both of them equally almost and almost more to Elliot at this point than to Parker, I think is pretty telling. So, um, but yeah, the timing on that scene is strange, don't you think? I think so. So then we have our last, very last scene is um, between Nate and Sophie, and we get this resolution of their their argument earlier and throughout the episode where, um, you know, Nate is doing that stereotypical, like, trope thing on TV shows of, of men not remembering important dates in, in, a, in a relationship, and which is really not to type for Nate. And then we see him, you know, explain, you know, I first saw you 10 years ago. I saw you steal a Degas in Prague. And she's like, yeah, I, I ran, you chased. And he's like, but then two years later, we met and I caught you and you turned around and introduced yourself. And that's when I met Sophie Devereaux, which good job, Nate, like very, very smart. Um, but then she she catches him again with uh, another thing that they had been arguing about when he mixed up Paris and Tuscany, which unfortunately I've never been to either one, but I think even I would be able to tell the difference and remember the difference. And she kind of leaves him with that and Timothy Hutton is so good and he just kind of, you know, has this little like touche smile on his face as he takes a sip of his coffee, which he did not lace with anything. Uh, which is very rare for Nate Ford. And that's the end of the episode. It's a really great episode, and I'm so sad I didn't have someone to gush about with it, except for all of you lovely listeners. Um, I wouldn't give you up for the world. I'm really excited. There's more than two of you out there. <laughs> but uh, I thought um, that before I do my book recommendation, I thought I would kind of talk about this story that just came out in the news uh, the end of April that is very leverage adjacent this was sent <laughs> sent to me by lisa lynn who um, as you know has helped host a couple of episodes and uh, she sent this to me on twitter and it's french museum discovers more than half of its paintings are fake so apparently um, a museum in france the terrace museum in elm uh, the southern french village uh, which is dedicated to the works of this French painter named Etienne Terrace. I might be saying Terrace incorrectly. I do not speak French. I apologize. They they they've found out or they believe now that 82 of their 140 paintings are counterfeit. Uh, they had a, a visiting a guest curator at the museum, uh, and they had just recently acquired 80 paintings by this that they thought were by this artist, and the um. The, the guest curator, Eric Forcada, had some doubts about the auth authenticity of their of the art. So they, you know, they they did a query and they, they researched them and they found that a bunch of the paintings featured buildings that weren't built until after the artist had died. There was one painting where they kind of wiped away at the author's at the author's signature and it wiped away and there was another painting underneath. So they just found that a bunch of them were uh, <laughs> And the, and the ink from the signature was easily wiped away with a with a glove, so uh, just it's fascinating that 
they they didn't catch this and it just feels very you know sophie to me uh so i'm gonna post the the link to this article uh in the the show notes so you can read more about it if you like and now my book recommendation so i i and i always recommend this i went to my local indie bookstore we have a great indie bookstore in houston called murder by the book and if you're not going to the library and you want to buy a book i always recommend an indie bookstore because the the owners and the people who work there really know their their stock they really know what they have and they read it and they're passionate about it and they can help you find something that you're interested in so the last time i was there i asked if they had any recommendations for heist books because i was wanting to do this for this podcast and I, I walked away with several books. I think I bought over $100 worth of books that day. And uh, one of them I just got around to reading. I sat down the other night and I said, oh, you know what? I haven't started that book yet. I'm going to read a couple chapters before bed. I, you know, told myself this. And two hours later, I'd finished the book. So uh, this book is kind of a YA novel. It is called Marco Impossible. It's by Hannah Moskowitz. And it's about uh, two best friends who, uh, Stephen and Marco, who are graduating from middle school, they're going off to the high school next year, and life is about to change for them. Marco is going to a local private school, and uh, Stephen's going to go off to their public high school. They have been best friends since they were little kids, and their big thing that they do together is that they investigate mysteries or crimes that they see around them. And they keep, Stephen keeps a very detailed case book uh, on the people that they know, on the cases that they, you know, that they are, they're working on. And Marco is kind of the, the ringleader, you know, he, he's the hero. He um, is this very dramatic, short, half Japanese, half Italian, um, very gay boy who unfortunately also deals with a lot of bullying and harassment at his school. Steven, who has, comes from a big family, um, but is straight and this cute boy, he doesn't really get a lot of the things that are going on in Marco's life. And they, as a lot of friends run into, they don't communicate as well as they should. So they have lots of things where they bump up against each other, but they both really, um, you know, have genuine feelings for each other and are not really love each other. But it's the last day of school or the last weekend of school, and the boy that Marco has had a crush on forever, uh, who is uh, this English boy who lives in their town and goes to their school, he is leaving early for summer vacation, and he spends every summer in England at soccer camps. Uh, He is leaving earlier than their, their middle school graduation, and Marco has decided that now is the time. He has to tell this boy how he feels, and their only opportunity to do this and to make the splash that Marco wants to make is to break into the high school senior prom and profess his love for this boy who's who um, is in a band with his brothers and they're playing at the prom. Um, so they plan this elaborate heist to to fake their way into the prom and get tuxes and and tell this boy how he feels. And you know. Uh, when you're eighth graders and you are trying to rent fake tuxes the night before prom and, you know, get out from under the nose of protective parents and get into the senior prom, everything goes wrong. And uh, they have to deal with all of the <laughs> all of the things that, you know, pop up uh, in front of them as they try to get in and 
also deal with the fact that life is changing for them and their friendship seems to be on the rocks. It's a really good book and I, I just like tore through it. So that's Marco Impossible by Hannah Moskowitz. And yeah, so that is it for episode eight, The Mile High Job. And for me, for this episode of Let's Go Steal a Podcast, next time we get together, uh, we'll be talking about the snow job. I'm excited because I haven't watched that one in a long time. Thanks for listening. If you would <laughs> like to help me out and be a guest co-host so I don't, you know, inadvertently have to host by myself again, not that I mind talking to an empty room, get a hold of me. You can DM me on Twitter. I'm at librariansty. Or, you know, just keep listening and find out who's coming on next month, next month, next week, in two weeks. Yeah. So I, I won't see you, but you'll hear us again in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Look, flying isn't really all that scary when you think about it. I mean, there are a lot more likely ways to die than on a plane. Car crash, house fire, electrocution, drowning, autoerotic asphyxiation. I mean, fact is, death haunts us every day, no matter where we are. Thank you.